This is the Minnesota Sports Insider Podcast. Um, today we're doing a little draft recap for the Minnesota Wild in the first round. Round two in through seven run tomorrow, um, I believe, on NHL Network and ESPN. So um, it is the first time that ESPN's covered an NHL draft in over 20 years. So interesting to see. I personally couldn't listen to the some of the uh, um, uh, analysis and yeah, reviews of some of the players. Um, so tough to say uh, how they were doing. I'm sure some people were able to, but nonetheless, we'll get started here. Uh, so we started off the draft. I'm not going to go through every pick, just some of the picks that I thought that were interesting. The, uh, the obvious one was Owen Power going first for Michigan. Um, clear number one, Buffalo snags a, the best defender in the draft. But to me, I still think that Eklund was the, he was such a good forward I always, I, I t- if you got a really good forward and a really good defender, maybe if your needs are drastically defense, you still take the defender. I thought William Eklund was, who actually went seventh in the draft. Um, I, I just thought that was the pick there. But um, Matthew Beneers uh, went two, um, also from Michigan. And then um, later in the draft, I thought that the the pick at number 14, I think it was 14, Sebastian Cosa was the first goalie to go, which was interesting because I did not see almost any mock drafts of Cosa ahead of Wallstead. I don't think I saw one. Um, um, Cosa being a six foot three kind of uh, rangy goalie, quick, um, you know, a little bit more of a project when I watch him than, than Wallstead, a little bit more raw, but potentially more athleticism. So, that, that maybe they're banking on that. They can develop him, and they trust the development team. But that is Buffalo, right? So who knows? Um, we go later in the draft. Uh, we flip to the number 20th pick. The Wild technically own the 22 and 26th pick because the Arizona forfeited their pick because of, uh, you know, some scandals. Um, the 20th pick, uh, we traded with Edmonton. Edmonton, who needs a goalie drastically. The reason why they can't win playoff games and they get to the playoffs every year of Connor McDavid. They can't do anything. They have one of the worst goalies. Like Alex Stalock was playing meaningful games on that team. And they decided not to take a goalie, but rather trade back with your Minnesota Wild, who trade up from the 22 spot. They switched. The Wild gave them a third-round pick. I think it was in this year's draft, right? So they traded the 22nd and a third to get that 20th pick. Clearly the Wild knew who they wanted when you make a move like that. And they draft at the 20th spot in the 2021 entry draft or the NHL draft. Jasper Wallstead, Wally, the wall. Perfect, right? It's a goalie, and he can stop some things. He he is um, not he is a very good athlete. I'm not downplaying that. But the the best thing about Wallstead is he's very mechanically sound. He his his positioning is awesome for an 18 year old. He played in the SHL, one of the best leagues behind the NHL and the KHL. The SHL is the third best league in the world, period. He's playing with 24, 25-year-olds, and he was like an above-average goalie almost, like an average to above-average goalie in the SHL, and he was 17 last year um, with almost a 91 save percentage. So that's really impressive. To give perspective, Askarov was the number one pick for goalies last year at the 11th spot. And he wasn't even putting out those kind of numbers. So, very exciting. The Wild got their goalie. Some people are like, well, what about Capo Kakinen? I think Kakinen, um, by a lot of people, is viewed as a very good backup and a bottom-tier starter. Um, but, you know, he could develop. We saw how Darcy Kemp, Kemper ended up getting you know moved and, 
and, and being a pretty good goalie for Arizona. But Wallstead's floor seems to be an average NHL starting goalie, and it, it really seems like it's a sure bet that he's going to be a starter for a long time. And it's the timeline, the, S, the ETA was uh, 2023, which means he would be up here at 20 years old, which is the youngest goalie since Martin Brodeur to ever debut in the NHL. So that would be really cool to see what happens. Brodeur was a, obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer. So um, going into our second pick, we still maintain the 26th pick, um, which technically was the 25th pick. And we drafted Carson Lambos. Um, some people have already said this. We lost Susie, Carson Susie. We get back another Carson to get Lambos. Um, and Lambos is um, the best, one of the three best overall defenders in this draft. You have three other defenders like Owen Power, who is a really good two, he can score too. But this is like your more typical Brodeen type player. He can skate, he's big, um, and he's really good at mirroring other elite forwards. And he did that against William Eklund and the juniors. So it's, it'll be pretty interesting to watch him play. I would say he's he's um, about two years away to, from just being in the AHL and signing, signing his entry level. Um, so we'll see there um, with Lambos. But Lambos was, was a guy who was projected to go 17th in the draft by ESPN. I think it was around the same for NHL.com. So um, we got him 10 slots higher than he, you know, than he was supposed to go. And then same thing with Jesper, right? He was supposed to go 10th, and we got him 20th. So that's 11 spots. So overall, a really good draft for the Wild in terms of value. Um, even if they don't pan out, those are guys that are viewed as having more value than what you took him at. And now you, you, know, you always have that little bit of leverage in a trade when you have assets, you're ass- you're trying to gain some assets. I thought that was a good job of the Wild overall. Um, so we came out pretty strong. We still have the second round tomorrow. We just have one second round pick tomorrow, and then we now we only have one third round pick as well instead of two because we traded to Edmonton. So the Minnesota Wild have addressed their goalie spot for the long term. We lost Philip Lindbergh from UMass, who decided to not sign um, a month ago. We drafted him last year in the seventh round or whatever it was. So we lost him, and, and it was kind of tough because he was a emerging kind of good goalie. Um, but now we really made up for that. So it looks like we have a nice core of D-men. So you got Ryan O'Rourke, who's a budding a budding star prospect in our in our system. It's tough to say, is O'Rourke better than Lambos? It, that, that is the, the conversation that needs to be started. Lambos or O'Rourke? Who's our best defensive prospect? It's really close right now. And they're both really solid ones. You have two guys that just graduated, Brendan Minnell and Kalen Addison, who were at the top. And then you have Damon Hunt, who we drafted last year. He broke his leg, but he was going to be a first-round pick, but he broke his leg, so he went later. So we have a very good crop of about three to four defensive core guys that will be up in the next two to three years. Looks like we can build around the Brodeens and Dumbas and Spurgeons and, and kind of fill in uh, with cheap rookie contracts. So that was a smart idea by by Garen. Um, but now, it, you know, the last bit I'll add here is that the Wild have made kind of a clear move, it seems like, taking a goalie and defenseman with our top two picks. Seems that we're going to be targeting a center, whether it's free agency, but I think it's more likely it's a trade. That seems to be that's going to be a thing that happens soon. Um, guys that are at play are Fiala and Greenway for a potential trade. Russo made it sound like um, Fiala 
was a guy that was probably going to be traded this summer. That'll be tough to swallow. Hopefully the trade um, works out. Hopefully we get a player that actually can play. Um, I'm not a big into Eichel kind of guy. I don't think we'll get Eichel. Sounds like some other teams have kind of ventured into the Eichel sweepstakes this morning. So we'll see what happens. But um, guys to look at in the trade market going forward are definitely going to be JT Miller from the Vancouver Canucks. Fire sell with Jim Benning up there uh, for, for in Vancouver. Um, then you got Sean Monaghan in Calgary. Um, that would be a lower price tag to get. Um, and then you, maybe it would be a first and uh, a player to match a little bit of money. Could be like a Greenway, a first, and... I'm not sure what else. Maybe we absorb a little bit of money. Then Tomas Hurdle is another option in San Jose. Tomas Hurdle is a 27-year-old center. Uh, good at faceoffs, Can score a lot of goals. 60-point guy per year. Um, and then you have Christian Dvorak um, being a pretty good option too. Might be your last resort. And then finally, if you go into free agency, you have Paul Stasny. Paul Stasny is 35 years old. Paul Stasny's won a couple cups. Paul Stasny is a very good center still. He's older, but he can still play. The He still would be probably one of our best centers. Um, from day one, if, if, if you sign for a one-year contract. So that is probably the direction that we go, one of those five guys that I just mentioned. Um, maybe we take a look at the, the Columbus, uh, Alex Wenberg, maybe, but who knows. Um, all in all, a pretty good draft. Um, Sky, I'm going to just ask you a little question at the end here, and we'll wrap it up. Um, overall, Sky, do you think that the Wild can manage – to absorb those big contracts or dead hits, dead cap hits from Suter and Parisi next year, year three, and year four. We have about $13 million per year against the cap. It's going to be a $90 million cap hit league in a few years probably. Like, Do you think we can, we can build a contender with 10, about $10 million less to work with than other teams? Man, it's going to be tough. I mean, I'll say next year, I mean, for sure, they're going to be able to make it work because I don't think there's much of a cap hit next year. But then those next few years going forward, I mean, man, it'll be really tough, I think. It's good that we have all these young prospects, Kaprizov, even though, I mean, we're going to have to pay him in the near future, so I guess he doesn't count, but like Boldy... And these guys that we just drafted, Kalen Addison, uh, hopefully we won't have to pay those guys for the next few years and that can help us out. Hopefully they can develop into the players that they're supposed to become. And if they do, I think we have a decent shot of managing our cap to the effect of us being playoff contenders every year. But that's depending on your prospects panning out and we know how that goes. Right. I think a really interesting thing to go down is this is why I like the draft a lot. If Jesper Wallstedt in two years, what's what what's happening in two years? He's potentially coming here. Well, he will probably be playing here. And what else? The Suter and Parisi contracts really start taking a, a toll. If you can have, and that's when um, Cam Talbot's contract comes off the books in two years. So you get Jesper Wallstedt in. As a guy making $1 million a year on a rookie contract for three years, and you get him to come in and play like a starting goalie, doesn't need to be top 10, just needs to be like a top 20 goalie, you're not paying more than a million for your starting goalie, that's when I think you have a chance. Because most teams that have a starting goalie, like a good, a solid one, they're paying them 6 to $8 million a year, sometimes 10 right? Like, And that's where you can make up 
And that's why this draft potentially could be a home run because if you hit on Jesper Wallstedt, you save yourself a fortune in years two, three, and four of Parisi and Suter, Suter's dead cap hit years. So that that's that's why I like this move overall. Um, we're going to – Scott, do you have time for about seven minutes of Viking stuff? Sure, we can go forward with that. Okay, so we're going to go a little over to the to the Vikings here. Um, we, there was some news that kind of flashed across the screen a few hours ago, and it was it was about Aaron Rodgers, right? Oh, um, so Aaron, there's a couple reports that are floating out. We've seen this throughout the whole summer. There's nothing new about the verbiage of what's happening here, but the the timing of it after declining his the biggest contract in NFL history potentially per year is interesting. There's some reports saying that he's he's going to actually retire this year, and that's something that. Um, I think we've all heard of. I don't know how serious I took that. I don't think I took it too seriously. My fantasy team-wise, it's a bummer because uh, we own him. But, I mean, hopefully he comes back. But but back to the point, Aaron Rodgers, this seems there's no way he's going to be playing in, in Green Bay. Like, before I kind of thought that. But now this just solidifies everything that I, I we kind of previously thought. There's just there's no relationship to build here. Like, unless Green Bay fires Brian Kudikins, Budikins, he is booty, though, Gudikins, or um, or they, they literally trade Jordan Love um, on a dime, I don't think anything's going to change. Because unless those two things change, then that's the issue. That's, that's part of the relationship that he didn't like. It's not about the money for Rodgers. You know, it's, it's something else, you know, and... I don't know. What are your thoughts on the whole Aaron Rodgers and effect in the NFC and, and the whole Green Bay situation? Yeah, first of all, I cannot believe that Green Bay is going to allow Aaron Rodgers to retire and not get a single asset for him in return. Um, I just think that Green Bay should have traded him for some first-round draft picks or some young talent, and I just think it is just so idiotic and so dumb how an organization will just play hardball like that and sink their own ship just out of fucking pride. Um, but for the Vikings, it just it looks amazing because the Green Bay Packers won't have Aaron Rodgers. They won't be able to rebuild because they're not getting anything for Aaron Rodgers. Right. And... Every talented player on Green Bay is going to want to leave because Aaron Rodgers was that team. I mean, you're already seeing it. Devontae Smith, or Devontae Adams wants out. Zadarius Smith just tweeted he wants out. He wants to sell his house. <laughs> um, things are getting a little crazy in Green Bay. And it's literally because, quite frankly, the management did not manage their players well. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, uh it's all about management and creating relationships like you were talking about. And we, we see the Green Bay choosing their GM, um, who I don't know. He just got hired two years ago. I get he signed a couple of good free agents, but um, it's not like he's drafted amazing the last few years. They they fired the other guy because Rodgers wasn't happy about him or something. They get Gutekinds, and now Gutekinds is doing things that are pissing off Rodgers and the entire team. If you piss off Rodgers and Rodgers retires and you – Fail to gain an asset like you're saying. You don't get any first round picks, let alone like know that they had three first round picks on the table from the Broncos, and I'm guessing other teams would have ponied up too if if they were seriously going to trade him. And you're going to walk away from three first round picks and opening up forty million dollars in cap space, like the right way. Like 
Rodgers has proved a point already. He doesn't need the biggest contract in the world. It's not about money for him. If it was, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be legitimately trying to retire potentially, and throwing away not couple million, like over a couple years, it's almost a hundred million dollars he'd be potentially throwing away, and it's all kind of a move just to show that relationships matter more to Rodgers, and he is on that. He is that kind of person. You listen to him talk with Pat McAfee. You listen to him talk on his YouTube channel. And you listen to him talk with people just in the TV world. And he clearly he's clearly a guy driven by conversation and driven about learning about like things about life. Like I just I know we talked about this before at the restaurant we you know earlier tonight to Sky like it's crazy that a lot of Green Bay fans and we're not taking us we're not being I think hateful towards Green. We try to be objective here, but it's a little bit sad how the Green Bay fans—not saying everyone, but majority—it seems like are seemingly going against Rodgers and and teaming up with with the organization and, and Brian Gutekunst and and their ownership. It to me, if, as a Vikings fan, I know it's easy to root for Rodgers because you want him to leave, right? But I, I just agree with Rodgers. Like Rodgers has. It's about relationships. Where did the relationship go wrong? When they didn't even talk about drafting Jordan Love. Some people are like, why do they need to tell him? Because he's a franchise quarterback. And you want to make him feel like he's he's safe to end his career here. You know, like, it's not just about, oh, you already got your money. Why should you care? It's more about, it's more than that, right? And Rodgers could have been getting more money if he wanted to on his last contract, but he didn't hold out. He took it to play in Lambeau, to play in Green Bay, to play in a small market. So now all these fans are just kind of going back and forth. I don't understand. I don't understand. I just, I think Green Bay, their fans, the organization, are taking a massive shit on that little franchise and market. And like you were saying, you can talk about this a little or allude to it. Let's just quickly diverge into what, what, what's, I mean, are they going to be able to attract players going forward? I mean, no, I mean... Green Bay is a worse city weather-wise than Minneapolis. Who would who wants to go to the frozen tundra, no. even more frozen than Minneapolis, and play football in January? Like, no one in their right mind wants to get hit in negative oh. fifteen degree weather. It really does not make sense at all to me. Yeah, I don't, I'm not understanding it. Um, and and they're they're just. It seems like we've had three decades of them having a Hall of Fame quarterback, and it's coming to an end, and it actually is this time. There's not like, I mean, unless Jordan Love just blows me away, I mean, that could happen. I don't I don't see them digging themselves out. I mean, they have a good roster. It's not to say that they can't be a 500 team or a borderline playoff team because they have a good roster. They can still win nine games with Jordan Love. That's very possible. But to say to put them in the same breath every year since 2008, essentially, that they're gonna be like every year unless Rodgers gets hurt by Anthony Barr is legitimately a 10 win or more team. And if they aren't, it I mean happened like one year. Like they, I think they missed the playoffs two times in Aaron Rodgers' career since 2010. And he was hurt. And he was oh, hurt. Yeah. And and one time Seneca Wallace was the fucking backup. I mean that's says enough about that. So like. Yeah, I just it's, it'll be interesting. I will say, you know, I keep going back to man, if the, if we could have just gotten Justin Fields, but that's fine. Um, the the Vikings would have owned this division for the next decade, but the Bears have a chance. Lions are building something interesting. Last thing about I want to briefly talk about 
about the Vikings um, is their their O line. Um, can do you think that um, well with our O line being a big concern right now with our our O line coach being out the door now? Um, is there is there any concern with Kubiak being like? almost overused as a, as a first-year head coach. He's 35, I believe, and now he's got to worry about helping out a guy who's never coached. He actually was an Auburn O-line coach, and this is his first year, I believe, in the NFL as our O-line coach now being promoted. And now he's like Rick Denniston was a guy who, who literally was on Gary's Super Bowl-winning team, uh, Kubiak, when Peyton Manning was there in, in Denver. So like he's been, he's won rings and he's been around the block. He that's something that Clint could have like kind of leaned to. It's like hey like I need some help. And he used to be a play caller. He was the play caller one of the years that Payne played. So now we don't have that guy for for Clint to to kind of lean on. And you know what what does that mean for what does that mean for uh, Clint Kubiak and his potential um, rise to fame or or not? I mean, you you go into any business and you're new. You go into an accounting firm or some type of business, car sales. You're the new guy on the block. You're young. You don't go in there like the hot shot. You you lean on those experienced people, those older, more experienced, more knowledgeable people that have been in the business for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And you try to gain knowledge out of that. So, I mean, when you lose a, a coach on, on your staff that had that knowledge of however long he's worked in the NFL, 20 years or whatever it was, you lose that. Um, you, there's not many people like that on your roster that you can go to for advice. So, I mean, it's just one less person that he can go to who has seen this one look or he can t- teach them about this one look on defense um, that he's just not going to have. It's It'll be a tough transition for Clint. Um, and you know what? I'm not going to have – High, high expectations for him because it's just a lot on his plate right now. Um, as a first-year coach, he's, he's, his dad's on the team. I mean, it would be nice if his dad just could potentially stay for one year in that transition year for him. Doesn't have that. I'm sure he's at home virtually going to help him. You know, you can give him calls, but it's not the same if Gary was actually in the house uh, every day with Clint. So it'll be a challenge for Clint. I'm rooting for him. Rooting, uh, I still think that that it's not enough of a, a loss um, for our coaches to, to – to drastically affect winning, I think does that. It's hard to say. Does that affect more than one game? I don't think so. Does that like in terms of like win loss? Does it affect like our like just like some adjustments in a game potentially or from week to week? Yeah, um, I think that could. But um, that's something that I feel like at the end of the day, not to steal Mitchell Green's quote here, but you know, like the linemen are going to be as good as. Their, their talent allows to in, a, in, a, in the scheme. When things get going and they understand the playbook, you can do adjustments, but the zone blocking scheme is not the most complicated thing in the world, right? So that is a, that is a benefit. We don't have a, we don't have the Andy Reid offense. It's a fairly, um, I guess, more simple offense. It's not a West Coast offense, you know? There's not all these possible audibles and options as, as much. So that, that is a positive to that light. And the very last question I'm going to hit on here is um, – if you had to pick one strength of our team this year, one specific strength, I want to pick one. You can pick one. What is that strength, and why do you think that really helps elevate this team from last year? Well, I'll go an obvious one. Um, 
or did you say did you say a strength of the um this year that wasn't there last year yeah. or just yeah, oh, or, or any of that or maybe there's there's one that was but now it's even so much stronger or something okay well i mean i'll say our secondary uh i'd say patrick peterson he'll definitely help the uh veteran presence and um our secondary was just so bad last year. I, I think it just has to get better. Uh, Cam Dantzler will take that next step. Harrison Smith, is he'll just always be the guy he is. I mean, even Eric Kendricks, he got hurt. I mean, he he's helpful in coverage, too, at times. So I think our secondary, will, it'll, they'll step up a little bit this year. Yeah, Bashad, Bashad Breland and Mackenzie Alexander. Um, and, and I think Harrison Hand is going to be – I think he's going to surprise some people this year. Or, or D – our DBs are pretty deep this year. My my pick is um, I'm gonna go a little different. That's a good one. You can't argue that one. Um, you, you could argue either one. I'm, I'm gonna go um, interior D line and D line in general. It's just such it's such a massive difference. And and you know to you know when you have a good D line, you can also cover. You can kind of like hide hide away some of the problems you have in the DBs, right? Like. Um, less the better pressure you get, the less time they have to cover. Uh, the, the the better your your tackles are in, inside of stopping the run, the less your linebackers and safeties and corners have to help down the middle and take blows. Right, so I I think the D tackle spot is just unbelievable. Like we were running out um, Jalen Holmes, who was like a second year player. Um, I think it was at like Ohio State, and we were running out like. Not Shamar Stefan, um, Weatherly, right? Ofedabo. Or or... yeah. I mean, we were running out all these guys um, that just shouldn't have been playing out there. Jaleel Johnson. Like, now, like, all those guys were, like, not even top 50, deta- 60 t- D tackles in the league. Now we have three top 20 D tackles on our team. And that's not just subjectively trying to say that as a Vikings fan. That's, like, going by every analytic and then the eye test as well. Sheldon Richardson's our worst D tackle, and he's not start not our worst. Uh, we're not, not even a starting D tackle, and he's coming off the bench in a pass rush D tackle kind of role because he's he's slimmer this year. He's like two seventy, lost a lot of weight. Um, and then you have L- Lakin Tomlinson, who I went back and looked at his PFF scores, and I'm like, this man's been top ten every year in his NFL career, in his NFL career. And then I looked at Michael Pierce, his only year that wasn't elite was the year before his COVID year um, when he was in his last year in Baltimore. And that's because he played with an injured calf half the year. If you look at his scores, I was looking at the best D-tackle scores from 2016 to 2018. And it is literally Aaron Donald and him top two in almost every category. He had a 90.1 PFF score in 2018. He had a 90.8 in 2016 and 17 like 89.0 top three every year michael pierce is not only known on analytic charts linval joseph who left the vikings now plays for the chargers made a quote two days ago okay on nfl network saying michael pierce is gonna be one of the best d tackles in the nfl watch that was his quote and and i can't analytics can't disagree and i can't disagree he, he's a phenomenal run stopper and and what was the Vikings' worst thing actually on defense last year? A lot of people think it was the it was the pass defending, which it was an issue. It was our run defense. We allowed 110 yards rushing a game. We couldn't stop the run. We, I mean, every time it's third and three, 
Didn't matter if you threw it or ran it. They were going to have it. So I agree, though. So, like, the cornerbacks are such a nice thing to have. If you do not have – if the other team has great blocking, maybe maybe this year we can actually hold some shit on extended plays downfield. Just from some headiness, some some wisdom that we have from Bashad Breeland comes from the Kansas City Chiefs, won a, a ring. He's been there. He's got big interceptions in the Super Bowl. We'll be a pretty interesting team. It just comes down to Darisau, Wyatt Davis, Garrett Bradbury, Ezra Cleveland. And we know O'Neal's a good player. So those other four could be problem childs. So – Hopefully that gets figured out, um, and the Vikings training camp starts on the 28th. I believe that's next. Is that Wednesday? What's today? The 20th? What's today? The 24th? I think it's today. It's like the 24th, but um, yeah, the 28th starting up next week. We'll see how that everything goes, um, and hopefully Michael Pierce calf rests up pretty good. Thanks for listening.